I think when Latina consumers especially realize that how powerful we are and we can dictate what a store does and what products that they offer, once we start to realize that power and how much we drive the economy, it's, it's the sky's the limit. Hi guys, welcome to the Latina Without Borders podcast. I'm Christina. And I'm Eliza. And today we're going to be talking about a topic we haven't spoken much about in previous episodes, and that is beauty. Today's guest is a Latina entrepreneur. Her products are sold at mass retailers like Target, Walmart, Sally's. She's actually the first Latina to ever have a natural hair care brand at mass retail. Her name is Aisha Ceballos Crump, and she's the founder of two beauty brands, Honey Baby Naturals and Botanica Beauty. In this episode, we dive deep into how she got into the entrepreneur space, her background in chemical engineering, and her most recent campaign with Target called Masque, which means more than. You'll hear her references campaign throughout the episode and towards the end, she'll tell us why it was such an emotional experience. I mean, I'm personally a huge Target fan, who isn't? But it's great to see them use their platform to support the Latinx community and minority-owned brands. Yeah, and she gets really personal. She talks about the Latino community in Chicago and how it was established there. She also goes into why she started this beauty line. Um, and mainly it's because she has, you know, two daughters who have beautiful but very different hair. So she wanted to create a product that was not only good for, you know, her youngest daughter who has really curly hair, but good for everyone in the household. Aisha is definitely breaking boundaries, and we're so excited for you guys to listen to everything she had to say. Let us know your thoughts, and here it is. We are definitely going to get into your brand, Honey Baby Naturals, but before that, we wanted to like backtrack and talk about your chemical engineering background. I read that before you launched your brand, or you were working in skincare and hair care, and you were developing products. So we just wanted to hear more about this journey and what made you get into this field. I am um, first-generation college students. Um, my grandparents came to um, Indiana to work in the steel industry. So my grandparents didn't speak English. They didn't have any money. They had nothing. Like so many of our generation, um, they just came here to make a better life for us. So my parents got married when they were 18 and 20. They have GEDs. They didn't even graduate high school because they got married so young. And, um, you know, I was fortunate to just have so much love and environment around me that I graduated valedictorian high school. I actually went to performing arts high school and I wanted to go to New York and NYU to be a theater major. And um, I realized that um, it's so hard, especially for women of color, to be, to make the same amount of money as our counterparts. And so I actually went down a list and I said, what major makes the most money out of college? No lie. And and I was good in math and science. I was being recruited by pretty much every university in the country. And um, Purdue University is a few hours away. It's, it's world-class Ivy League engineering degree. And they gave me a full scholarship to be an engineer. And so I decided to go into chemical engineering. And I, I really, I love math and science, but people don't realize that engineering is so different. It's more theoretical and like, you know, and so I didn't know what I wanted to do. I just know that I wanted to get this degree and then I can graduate and make a lot of money. You know, I actually hated it for four years. I was like, oh my God, it's so challenging. Purdue is like one of the top engineering schools in the country. I was very active in society of women engineers, Hispanic engineers, society of Hispanic engineers, National Society of Black Engineers. I actually worked in the minority engineering department and recruited other uh, people of color to be engineers. So fast forward, graduation day, 
and I have this great engineering degree and I did not want to be an engineer. It's boring. (laughs) That story happens to so many people. Like we, you know, as people of color, we want a job that's going to pay us a lot because we grew up with low incomes and that happens. I feel like a lot of people go to law school. I feel like that's a big one. Oh yeah. Yeah. And then you end up having debt for the rest of your life. (laughs) Exactly. And you're unhappy and you, you know, you go into another direction. And it's, you know, and it's funny because like, and and so, you know, here I am four years and I graduated with honors. It was so challenging. I'm from Gary public school system. I actually went to public school my whole life and um, I was valedictorian. I had a full ride and it was so hard because we don't have the support system. Our peers can't help us with our grades, with our homework. I didn't have money to buy books. I worked two jobs while I went to school full-time as an engineer and took 18 credit hours a semester. So yeah. like people, people, don't, people don't realize that like, as, you know, as a, as a, a Latina coming from a poor family, you know, second in our part, second generation, like we don't have anything to fall back on. So it's either like do or die. Either you're going to go in, you're going to work your butt off and you're going to make it. So when I graduated, um, you know, I wanted to find a way to push the things that I love together, engineering, sales and people. And that's how I got into this business. I started selling chemicals for the beauty industry. First of all, there's not a lot of women in the engineering field nonetheless being a Latina. And I was looking up just to get some numbers. I saw this like survey, it's 2012, so maybe a little bit outdated, but I'm sure the numbers are just pretty similar. And it was 8% of degrees earning chemical engineering were Hispanic slash Latino versus 66 were white. And I'm saying out of that 8%, those are just Hispanics. So the percentage of women in that, I don't even know much be, would be much smaller. And then there was another report that said only 2% of Latinas held science and engineering positions in 2015. What was it like being a minority in that classroom when you were sitting down and looking around? I'm sure there were maybe a lot of um, males versus females. What were your challenges and how did you overcome that? It was intimidating. Um, and especially uh, my high school in was predominantly black. Um, I grew up in Gary, Indiana. I had 55 in my graduating class. So I went from a high school that was very specialized as a theater major, predominantly black, minority, um, to an institution where lecture halls were 250 people. And when I look around, there might be two black kids and maybe two Latino kids. And I was the only Latina that was Mm -hmm. at Purdue University the four years I was there in chemical engineering. And there were two other black females that were my friends. And there was actually two two kids, um, two men, males that were actually from the island. They were from Puerto Rico. And so, you know, it's a little different when they come straight from the island to, you know, they'll look at you like, you're not Boricua, you're not Latina. Like, no, I am, I promise. Like, I promise I am. So it was like, you know, we, we actually, we actually, I worked hard for minority engineering. So we, um, I had a culture shop, you know, coming from Gary, Indiana, and then going to Purdue in West Lafayette, Indiana. It's like, it's a culture shock to the point where I didn't even think I belonged. You know, my first semester, I had a 4.0 my whole life. I was valedictorian in middle school, high school. Um, I got to Purdue, I had a 2.64. My first semester, I cried, I had no idea. But by the time I graduated, I found a support system. Like I said, Society of Hispanic Engineers, Society of Women Engineers, and these groups help uplift and give you strength. So by the time I graduated, you know, I was, I was with, I graduated with honors and, you know, some of the friends that I met in college are still my friends to this day because we had to be there for each other. So it was, it was, it was difficult, but at the same time, it's like, I felt like, um, I can be, I can use this to become a role model, um, Mm -hmm. for other young Latina girls and other women of color who don't think that they have a, a career in science and engineering. And so one of the things, even with my company, is we, we have an um, outreach for inner city youth, for Latinas and, and black, black girls who want careers in STEM and science and engineering. So that's mm-hmm. awesome that, you know, that, that 
you know, I can use my platform to uplift and get those numbers higher. We're always trying to balance two cultures. So I'm sure growing up, you were, you're American, but you're also Latina, but sometimes you feel like maybe I'm not American enough or I'm not Latina enough. Can you tell us if there's ever a moment that you felt this way, whether it was in college or in high school, have you turned any of those challenges into advantages? So Christina, my whole life, I felt this way and I still do to this day. So I'm 100%, I bleed red and blue. And I I mean, the Puerto Rican flag, like our culture is so strong. Um, My name is Aisha. You know, my name is not Latina and my married name is Crump. And so, you know, for the last 20 years, I've been Aisha Crump. And so I always had to prove how Latina I was. You know, I had cousins that grew up in more, you know, Spanish, you know, Hispanic neighborhoods, Latino neighborhoods. And they would look at me and say, oh, you know, you're, you're black because majority of my friends were black. You know, my husband is black. And I, 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 felt, I felt like I spent my whole life trying to prove who I was. You know, I know who I am inside in my culture. And my parents were so, like, our family is so diverse. My parents were so supportive and liberal. And, like, they're like, you're you. <laughs> Do you, Aisha. You are Aisha. No one else is like you. And, you know, I think that's where I'm at a, such a pivotal point in my life that, you know, my whole life I had to prove, yes, I'm Puerto Rican, yes, I'm Boricua, yes, I'm Latina. Like, I'm so proud, you know, in, in, in an environment where majority white in college, majority black in high school, and even now in a corporate setting where there's no CEOs and beauty entrepreneurs that look like me. And so I'm constantly trying to prove myself. So the fact that right now I am the pioneer, the first Latina to ever have a natural hair care brand in mass retail, and I'm leading this movement to empower Latina women. It means so much to me. Like when I was doing that campaign with Target, I cried because I can't believe that Aisha Raquel Ceballos Trump from Gary, Indiana is having an opportunity to show the world like what a Latina woman is. And, and there's no one fit for us. I wanted to go in more to the hair care, um, talking about Honey Baby Naturals. What, how do you start it? Um, I know you said that like once you graduate college, you realize that, oh my God, this isn't for me, but it did spark an interest in the beauty um, and the hair industry for you. So what was the stepping stones? So I, um, I actually, my husband and I met in college um, and he's from Chicago. So I, God, I've been married 19 years this year. Um, and so he was from Chicago and I was so in love. We met my senior year of school. Um, so we've been together 22 years and we didn't have jobs. I was interviewing with all these engineering firms and he's an engineer as well, but I just wanted to be in love. And like, so anyways, I came to Chicago without a job. I turned down all these companies and I ended up going to work in the pharmaceutical industry. So um, Eli Lilly was a company that hired a lot of engineers and I started working in sales. Because sales reps made more money. Our life was flexible. Um, I had three kids. I had a baby at 25, 28, 30. Anyway, fast forward, I was in sales and making a lot of money. In my family's term, I was doing good. My husband's an engineer. I'm in sales. We have real estate. We have property. At 28 years old, I felt like I was old. Because mind you, I already had um, two kids. I had one kid. Um, I actually uh, went on a reality TV show. And this is like, I've never publicly really talked about it. I just started talking about it this year. So I had um, auditioned to be on a reality TV show. Um, Richard Branson, who owns Virgin, had, um, and this is funny because people are going to Google it. And I was 28 years old and I left my job and I was a contestant, 16 contestants on Richard Branson's reality TV show. I failed. Of course, I got stereotyped called JLo and everything. Didn't make it on the show, but it was at 28 when I realized that I, I had a bigger purpose. Like I failed on the reality TV show. There was a lot of cultural references that were made, a lot of stereotypical things. And um, 
Sarah Blakely, Spanx pantyhose, she was a contestant on the show with me. Like Sarah Blakely, who had just founded Spanx pantyhose. I knew my purpose was greater. So when I get 28, I said, you know what? I'm changing it. I was like, I have to do what I love. And I typed in the computer, engineering, beauty, um, and sales. And I, I launched a cosmetic brand. I didn't know anything about it. And then I said, let me learn. I started selling chemicals for the beauty industry. I was the first like young person with no industry experience this company ever hired. I was calling on a Unilever. I was calling on a Vertical Culver, like Luster Products. And so I just started learning and I was like, oh my God, this is it. I am supposed to become a beauty entrepreneur. Fast forward and I remember um, I was in the airport and I was watching Sarah's interview and she's the youngest self-made American female billionaire. And I said, you know what? I said, I'm, I'm, I'm done. I'm in, I'm in, I'm jumping in. And I quit my job in 2015 and I was making six figures. My family depended on me and quit my job. And I just went all in and launched um, Honey Baby Naturals in 2016 and then launched Botanica Beauty 2019. There are a lot of brands, especially beauty brands coming out. It feels like almost every other week and with social media and everything, it makes it possible. But what did you see missing in the beauty market and why did you bring specifically honeybees Naturals in? I read that honey was a secret skin and hair care ingredient by your grandma. So like what actually got you into developing this particular type of product? So it's crazy because I worked for a contract manufacturer and I had access to every brand in the market. So like I worked behind the scenes with all the multicultural brands mm -hmm. and um, I would bring free product home and I was in the kitchen. And so I have three kids. We all had our own bin. My daughters all had different hair textures and we were in the kitchen and I would pull out one bin for, for Kyra, who's my oldest daughter, who has like a kinkier, thick texture hair. My younger daughter who has um, a wavier, like um, curly hair. So she had her own products. Kyra had her own, my son had his own, my husband, and then me, we couldn't use the same products. And it was like that Oprah aha moment. Why, why isn't there not a brand that really caters to a diverse family with different textures, which you see in the Latino community all the time. And, um, and everything is so like, um, I mean, I don't know, everything is so black and so white, if I just put it frank. And it's true for men, for women, for, um, for, for, for kids or for adults or for black or for white. It's always segmented that way. And I was like, wow, this is it. I'm ready. I'm going to launch a brand that's really about family, about community. That's, that's quality products. And, um, and I knew I wanted, I was in the kitchen. We do hair in the kitchen, right? We're washing hair in the sink. <laughs> we're doing hair in the kitchen. And so I was like, we're gonna use ingredients. And I know my well, she would put honey in everything. And I started researching honey. And honey is like one of the most amazing moisturizing, hydrating, like the, the sugar, um, the characteristics of it from a chemical perspective, it helps with psoriasis, it helps with like eczema. And my youngest daughter had eczema. So I, I made my first product, which actually was a body product, the Honey Nectar Body Jelly. And it is amazing. Like it was just like healing the skin. And it was like, that's it. I'm having my fourth child. You know, I, I, I was like, this is what I'm meant to do. And I actually created a niche brand, which, you know, a family brand, because I wanted to see it, um, to learn the market. I wanted to throw it out there because my bigger thing was to launch beauty brands in the Latina category, like in this category, but I wanted to see if um, it would stick or, you know, if I could learn. And when I say it stuck the first year we got in Target and like, it's just been growing. Like I had no idea. And so I, you know, I tell people Honey Baby is, um, is, is, is strength and um, honey can be substituted with anything. It's like my secret sauce. It's like, it's my sazon. It's like my ingredient 
You know, it's like, it's like, it could be anything. It didn't have to be honey, but it's like all of us have something that we might be a burning desire to do something or to create or to be better. And so I use honey baby as like this, this force and this strength to create something new. It's really about anyone who has hair and skin can use my product. I do have, um, like our smoothie is for textured hair. I couldn't use it. It's too heavy for my hair, but our shampoo and conditioner. And when I say I'm one of the first brands to have a crossover demographic, like you've never seen before, it is true. Like, you know, uh, white women, black women, Latina women, like men, oh, the men love our, our smoothie, our hair balm, our body jelly. So I do need to do a better job of marketing um, to everyone. But the challenge is it is expensive, like from a budget perspective. And so the way that retailers tend to segment you and place you are in multicultural sections. Like if you mm -hmm. notice a lot of these um, founder brands, they all start off in the multicultural, which is typically geared to who? Black women. And so that was the only place that these retailers really placed you. And that's where you marketed your product. It was like, stay in your lane. <laughs> you know, now it's amazing that we see Latina sections and not, you know, Latina sections in Target in campaigns that are geared toward this. This didn't happen when I launched six years ago. You know, I mean, when I started the business six years ago or when I launched four years ago, this is the first time. And so my marketing had to reflect our placement. And now you're starting to see a lot of different marketing and strategy that's going to reflect who the brand is for. Women in general may feel overwhelmed for launching a new brand or a business. They have a great idea. A lot of investors are white men and being on top of being a minority, that has its own challenges. When you started off your brand, was it self-funded? Did you look for investors right away? Like what would be your tip right away for someone who wants to launch their own brand? Well, everything you said is true. And um, I mean, it is, it's, it's a reality. And I, I think I'm actually, I, I take a, I do a lot. And I was telling my husband, I do all these classes. Like I want to be recognized in Chicago as a business leader. And I've done such a good job with networking in the financial community and, and um, different communities. But the lack of funding from minority owned businesses is absolutely true. The lack of funding for women businesses is, is, is seriously a thing. So imagine being a woman and a minority. So I knew for a long time that I wanted to start a brand and I had, I didn't have my mom to go to. Um, I had um, 401k. People say, don't ever do this. I worked at Eli Lilly and I saved up a lot of money. We had stock options. I took out my entire 401k because I believed in myself. Like all my savings, everything that I had, I pulled out. My husband and I had real estate and we sold one of our properties and we pulled everything out and pushed into the brand. And then um, a friend of mine from overseas, he was like, oh, I'll help you. You know, you know, if you need a little loan, and, you know, it's funny, I asked a lot of people that lived here and all these people I worked for for years who I used to make money for them. I said, hey, would you invest, invest in my brand? Oh, we don't really believe in you. And it took a friend who, you know, just was like, oh, I'll help you. And so with Honey Baby, it was all grassroots. I had that initial money that I used to, to I actually ran 5,000 units of each because I believed in the brand. And I created my own website. I did my own trademark. I did my own, um, I mean, everything. Like grassroots, I didn't have anyone to pay. Um, and it was a lot harder because you're bootstrapping. Every dime that comes in, you're putting back into the business. People don't realize that me jumping in my car, I drove my children to Philadelphia. We went to South Carolina. I'm driving from Chicago with a car full of honey baby to peddle it at trade shows and markets. And so it made it so much more difficult. Like it's hard. Even now, you know, it's like you're, you're too low where banks don't want to throw money at you, but you're making too much. You have profit where they don't want to give you a line of credit. And so I'm actually trying to get in these programs where I can get um, funding 
And, and it's funny because I'll take my husband with me and he's a black male, so he doesn't even get the respect. But just because he's a male, people will look at him like, oh, it's your business. You know, it's, 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 wow. it's, it's true, you know, and it, mm-hmm. it's certain parts of it. And, you know, imagine, you know, it's, it's crazy and people don't respect you as a woman and, and, and thinking that you can call the shots and be the CEO. But, you know, hey, I'm here to change that. And then so when I launched my second brand, Botanica Beauty, I actually found a private investor, not a bank a person who lived in my building, who had been following me and saw how I grew Honey Baby. And I always tell people, surround yourself and put yourself in environments with like-minded people. I'm sure you've gone through a lot of successes, but at the same time, I'm sure everyone deals with failures or a mess up. Can you tell us about a moment when you had a business challenge and how did you overcome it? What did you learn from it? Every day. <laughs> you know, like every day this week, I've been on the computer to 8 p.m. plus at mm-hmm. night day is like a challenge. Um, but the biggest thing is that um, first generation college student, first generation entrepreneur, you don't have parents or relatives that can guide you or tell you. And so everything that you're doing, you're pretty much learning by fire. And so when I started getting attention from um, the retailers, I'm like, yes, yes, sign me up. Yes, I want to go into Target. Yes, I want to go to Walmart. Yes, I want to go into Walgreens, Sally. And so I, I, I was opening up so many accounts but not understanding the expectations. And if you don't sell, you're responsible for all that product. So I tell people my first markdown, I cried when I, that bill comes back to you. So when you see these little red tags at Target that they're putting, oh, it's not a sale. It's because they're taking your brand out. And mm-hmm. that's why our community has to go hard and we have to support because they don't give you very long. And so the first time I had markdowns, um, it was because I was so excited. I showed a buyer all my new products and she's like, oh, great. We're going to swap your old products out for your new products. And then I get a bill for $50,000 because they have to basically um, charge them out of stores. And yeah. people don't realize that. And so I said, Holy like, you need to slow down. You need to back it up. And, and so that was a big, you know, it hurt me financially because that's a huge blow. Because now you're restocking the store with all these new products and that's inventory you have to buy. And then all that old inventory that's basically marked down, it just goes to waste. Target just had a campaign. How do you feel about that campaign? Did it inspire you? We got a chance to see the promo video and you were chatting about how you were a young girl, how you were very critical of yourself. Um, but ultimately you've been able to like find like self-love, especially with this product. It, it's, it's so crazy because I, you know, when I first went into Target, I wanted to pitch this whole Latina thing and like I was the only founder there. And when this campaign came my way, the first time I read it, I think I had a tear in my eye. Like I was so emotional because we are not included in the conversation. And it's actually Mosquets more than. And, and that just sums up who I am. We talked about this. I'm more than what you see on the surface. You know, I, I, I'm intelligent, like I'm an engineer and I'm smart and I come from a strong family. I'm a strong woman, I'm, you know, all these things. And I think that this campaign and the dedication that Target put into it is incredible. It shows their commitment to the Latina consumer who is the number one growing, the number one spending consumer in the United States. You know, we are powerful and it shows that, you know, their commitment to, to amplifying our voices. So it was incredible. I think um, it was during COVID when we filmed and so everything was like remote. And I had people from Minnesota, from Minnesota, people in California, and we were crying. I'm filming this campaign and, you know, we're crying because it was so emotional and so powerful. It's our time. And we're more than just a month, you know, Hispanic Heritage Month. You know, we are more than that. We're, we're, you know, we're a movement, we're a generation and we're a force to be reckoned with. And so I think that's, 
you know, this campaign, every time I hear a commercial and it's funny, people from high school, they see it and they text me. They're like, you're on Snap. You're on Pandora. You're on, I'm like, oh my God, no, I'm not famous. I'm just a girl. <laughs> I'm just a little Latina girl from Gary with big dreams. And so the fact that, you know, Target is doing this, it's incredible. And I hope to see, you know, more of the retailers and more of these big companies to, to understand how powerful we are as a consumer. And let's amplify our voices. Let's tell our stories. And I mean, look at the three of us. And, you know, we're not in the same room where, you know, we're on a video conference. We all look, we're all Latina. We come from different backgrounds. We all look different. We all sound different. But guess what? Our stories are important and they're powerful and we need to tell them all. I'm happy that they're using their platform to really support brands owned by women and minorities like Latinos. But is there anything else that you would like to see larger retailers like Target to do for the Latinx community? Well, I'm, I'm so happy we had this opportunity to do an end cap because it did, um, you know, um, Target actually was very big in the African-American hair care movement and they did a lot of that. Um, but I think the one thing is that I still feel like there's so much segmentation. Like why, because we're Latinas and black women and women of color, do we have to shop in a certain section? I mean, let's, you know, let's put it all out there. Let's be real. Like it's shampoo, it's conditioner. And I understand special specialized targeted in marketing, but you don't see it in the clothes section. You don't see it, you know, you don't see it in your house goods and your apparel sec. you know, in those type of sections, you don't see it, but in the beauty section, it's so segmented. So I think that this is like a challenge for me is like, you know, let's really talk about um, we're all consumers and we all love beauty and we all, you know, like product. And so I do want to start to see that we don't, we're not categorized and we're put into a box and I'm not saying that Target necessarily does it, but I just think that so many of the retailers, you're in the multicultural or in the ethnic section. No, we are in the people section. <laughs> Another thing I like to see is um, being a small brand. How can I afford to do these type of campaigns? I can't. I mean, they're two hundred fifty thousand to a million dollar campaign. These big companies can. So I love to see more big companies really, put, you know, support small minority-owned businesses. Give us the money and the funds to do these campaigns and partner with us. And and not saying to give us a, a giveaway or a freebie, but really help us to be fair and competitive. The only reason we're there is because of social media. We've never lived in an age where you can market to people, to consumers directly through social media platforms. And it's so powerful. Now let's get a leverage when it comes to financial leverage within a retailer. I really appreciated that too, how they did at the end of the month, because like, just to like bring in another brand, like I, I, I use Peloton and the only time I can have like reggaeton music or like anything <laughs> Spanish is during hispanic heritage month that's the only time so like it's like always my favorite time to like jump on the bike because it has all the music and stuff i love but the minute it hits you know october 15th and we're going in there's like it's over and so i really like how they're continuing that because i think a lot of brands put a pause and, and even with my brand you know people are like oh for hispanic heritage month every day no hispanic heritage month is every day for me like we celebrate our culture every day like and i think it's just you know, just understanding, I think when Latina consumers especially realize that how powerful we are and we can dictate what a store does and what products that they offer, once we start to realize that power and how much we drive the economy, it's, it's the sky's the limit. And I think that's the message. And that's why, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm out here and I'm, I'm doing this and I'm spreading this because we are such a powerful consumer and the, every company is looking at what we do. And that the, the moment we understand that and we take that power into our hands, it just changes everything. And so 
Target acknowledging that. They're the first ones to really have this massive story and this, this even from the song, they had artists, they had, a, you know, they, they, they amplified our, our culture and they used Latino people to work on the campaign. And that was incredible. And working with that team, it was incredible. And, you know, I'm just blessed to be a part of it. I want to do our final question. We ask everyone on this podcast here on Latino Without Borders. And that is, what is one thing most people don't know about your culture? Well, we we're very proud people and uh, we have a lot of flags, but I would say um, I think growing up on the island, you guys would relate to this is there's a lot of um, internal racism in our culture and, and this is a negative, it could be negative or positive, but we're spinning into positive and, um, and especially growing up as a fair complected Latina woman, you know, oh, that was acceptable versus, you know, I feel like so many times that our Afro-Caribbean roots are not amplified. And especially being Puerto Rican, there's so many Afro-Latinos that live on the island that, you know, that are part of our culture. And it just really shows our diversity. And so, you know, you see the food and you see the flags and let's talk about the history and who we are. And my father always did an amazing job with making sure that I understood where our roots are in history. And when I take my kids to the island, you know, I make sure that they understand, you know, where we come from. And so I think that's, you know, that's the change. And you're starting to see this whole embracing of Afro-Latina culture. And it's incredible. You know, I have, I have black children and, and I love for them to understand and embrace that part of our culture. Now the food is great, the language, the fun, the dance. You know, I love my island. I love my culture, but I do want, you know, there to be a change, just like the whole fellow Malo and how that's changing. I want us to stop talking about our skin tone and our hair texture and really talk about the fact that we all have this, we bleed the same blood and we have the same culture. Thanks so much for listening to our episode today. Please be sure to rate us on wherever you listen to podcasts. It helps us out a lot and lets us know if we're doing a good job. And be sure to follow us on social media. Our handle is at Latina Without Borders. We would love for you guys to message us, DM us, let us know if you enjoyed this episode, but also if you guys have any tips or ideas of who you would want to listen to next on the podcast. That's it for today. And until next time, bye.